Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we're going to continue our conversation that started with what is seminary life like and what is it like to become a priest. And then we talked a little bit about what it's like to run a parish and be a pastor. And then we introduced religious orders. And now we're going to talk about what religious orders bring to society and why they are important to consider and to have around us. So with that being said, you're as about as a prime of a witness as we ever could find. It's being in a religious <laughs> order. So I'm going to let you have the floor and we'll go from there. Great. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful to look at these different dimensions of the church and the kind of life that grows up when you press the gospel into people's lives and into societies and communities. The gospel is a living force. Jesus uses the image of wheat, uh, or of yeast rather, in wheat, or of a seed in the ground. You know, it's a, it appears to be, when we, when we hold the creed, for example, in our hand, you know, it appears to be a dead thing on a piece of paper, but actually the, the meaning, the, the logic, there's power in the, in the words and the beliefs and, and, and what's inside of that. So it's like a living thing, just like when you hold yeast in your hand, you know, it just looks like a bunch of kind of whatever, dead dirt or something. And then you stick it in uh, wheat and water, warm it up, and it's alive. You know, it's breathing air into this, and it turns wheat into bread. So anyway, just to use that image of that's really what the gospel is. The gospel is this living power because it's really the seeds of the resurrection. It's the life of Christ. And when you press that into a human heart, when you press that into a community, when you press that into relationships, something new emerges. There's something alive and filled with hope and it has a vision and people are moved to do amazing things. So let's look at one saint who is moved like this. A lot of people know St. Francis. He's very popular and lots of different Christian, Catholic, Protestant, non-Christian, secular, whatever, all kinds of places. St. Francis is is, uh, real popular because he had the gospel pressed into his life in in an interesting way. And when I use that terminology, there's something wonderful about it. There's also something very normal about it. You know, St. Francis went off to war. He had he had dreams. He had a, a romantic heart for being a, a soldier, being a hero. He wanted to win over, you know, the, the hearts of the ladies. And he, you know, just had this kind of flair for the romantic. Went off to war, got sick, wasn't able to fight, you know, and then uh, in his in his despair began to really pray and had some encounters with God and started to find a new way to live out this ideal and eventually uh, went out and was was praying in the ruins of a church and was looking at the crucifix and heard a voice in his heart say, rebuild my church. And he looked at the physical ruins of this church and said, "Mm, all right, you know, and he got some stones and he started building this thing. And then he sold some of his father's cloth. His father was a cloth merchant, sold some of his father's cloth to buy it, to get some money, to get some more stones, to rebuild this church. And then it led to a whole conflict and they brought it up with the bishop. And then St. Francis in this flare, you know, strips off his clothes and says, you're no longer my father. Only God is my father. And he, you know, walked out and just wanted to live this 
gospel life in a very radical way. And he had a particular conception of the gospel and what that meant, really associated with poverty in particular, and really wanted to live this radical poverty like Christ who had no place to lay his head and who could really say, blessed are the poor for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And he wanted to live for the kingdom of heaven, to live for his heavenly father and to forsake the things of this world. And what it led him into, you know, and again, the, the things that get us into it are not necessarily the things that uh, keep us in it after a while, but you know, these kind of romantic ideals, this movement in prayer, eventually he opened the scriptures and he came across this passage of the rich young man who had come to Jesus and said, what must I do to be perfect? And Jesus said, you know, live the commandments. And he says, I've done all this from my youth. What else must I do? And Jesus said, sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And Pope Fran- or, uh, St. Francis, not Pope Francis, St. Francis in the 13th century, you know, the 12, early 1200s, uh, in a time, it was a particular time in society when the separation between rich and poor was more extreme. The church herself was uh, struggling with a, a bit of lifelessness, a sort of message maybe more to the rich than to the poor. And St. Francis was moved by these words of the gospel and really wanted to live them out in this radical way. And as I mentioned, sold everything, gave everything away, stripped off his clothes, gave to the poor, and then tried to live this radical imitation of Christ in prayer, in service, in preaching the gospel, in begging, in giving to the beggars. He had this amazing encounter with a leper and actually embraced the leper, which disgusted him. But going against that disgust and really seeing Christ in the leper, he saw that as a decision. He knew that Christ was in the leper. And so he embraced this leper and it was a profoundly transforming experience. All of this led him to a more and more radical imitation of Christ. And then what happened is others wanted to do this too. He had some friends. They were excited by him, inspired by him. They came along with him. And eventually he had a dozen guys and and he was kind of encouraged by some of the, you know, maybe a bishop or cardinal to, well, why don't you, you know, promote this order to the Holy Father and maybe he'll form it as a religious order. Even that was filled with trials. They they lived in Assisi. It's a, a probably a couple days journey or a day or two journey to Rome. They walked to Rome and presented to the Holy Father, who was totally not interested, dismissed them as a... Uh, you know, just what what in the world do they know? A bunch of beggars in in cheap clothes, you know, I mean, coming to present this idea. Well, he had a dream that night of a little poor man who was holding up the church. The whole church was falling into ruins. It, specifically, St. Peter's Basilica was the image in his mind, falling to ruins. And there was this little poor man who was holding it up. And he suddenly made the connection. That was the little poor man who had just come with his band of followers to form a new religious order. So he had his, you know, sent out to have him called back and then embrace this new order, the the Franciscan order, right? So I tell that whole story so you can see the kind of organic development. But then what happened was, I mean, suddenly there were Franciscans everywhere. They just multiplied in huge numbers because it's one of these these times that the Holy Spirit was radically at work. And it was so needed in the church to have a really pure kind of living and preaching of the gospel, and especially to bring that to the poor. And then St. Francis also famously, in the midst of the Crusades, 
went over and talked to the sultan himself. He encountered, and the fact that was uh, exactly seven, eight hundred years ago in the year 1219. So Pope Francis, now I meant to say that Pope Francis went over to the Middle East, went to Saudi, uh, to, um, suit, what did he go to? Now, now it's escaped my mind. Uh, anyway, to, uh, to the Arabian Peninsula for the first time, uh, that any Pope has gone to the Arabian Peninsula and did that specifically to follow in the footsteps of St. Francis. St. Francis went not with armies and weapons, but with the gospel of peace. And he was so courageous that the Sultan was really moved by his example and, and embraced him, you know, and there was a kind of friendship that was formed. There was a little bit that was broken down between the, you know, of, of false understanding and of hatred between Muslims and Catholics in that encounter with St. Francis. So anyway, that's uh, one example. He, and then his Franciscans went all over the place to bring the gospel to, to areas where it had never been, uh, they would eventually make their way to Japan and in and, and places in Africa and South America. Our, there were Franciscans that came over. The first Catholic parish in the United States was in St. Augustine, Florida. That was Franciscans. And then later on, Franciscans brought the gospel also to California and all of the California missions, starting with San Diego and then San Francisco, Los Angeles and Santa Barbara and and uh, San Juan Capistrano and Santa Clara and uh, all of these places, they're all Franciscan places, Franciscan missions. You know, that's why they're all named after saints and angels. And so anyway, this kind of great missionary movement and this renewal of the gospel, preaching to the poor and just living this, this out in a very radical way um, was, is an example of how a religious order – now that's a huge religious order and that was a huge movement. And was something that really, you know, captured the imagination of people and brought them back to a living encounter with Christ and lived that out. Now, at the very same time, another saint, St. Dominic, had a very different idea. There was a lot of heresy that was being preached because the, the whole structure of the church was, was kind of a mess. You know, it was, it was long before there were even seminaries. Priests were not well formed. The, the clergy was, you know, just sort of stuck in themselves a little bit and the there wasn't a very vibrant living out of the gospel and so these kind of heretical groups came up that had particular ideas that captured imaginations like St. Francis except their ideas were a little off they were they were not a, an accurate characterization of the gospel and so they were you know worshiping a, an image of God that was not the one that he has revealed to us in Christ and in the gospel so the St. Dominic set out to really form intellectually for preaching a whole group of friars and also a group of nuns to pray for them. St. Francis also had his nuns, the poor Clares, by the way, contemplative nuns to pray for the active mission of the, the brothers and the priests that would be formed. So St. Dominic formed this whole order of preachers, is what they're still called, so their, their abbreviation after their name is OP, um, whereas St. Francis's abbreviation is OFM, the Order of Friars Minor, the Little Brothers. So St. Francis had his little brothers and St. Dominic had his preachers. And St. Dominic also lived this very radical life of poverty, of mission, preaching the gospel, bringing that to the poor, but also specifically directing that to uh, preach against the 
the Albigensians and the uh, the Cathars and some of these other heretical movements at the very same time, the beginning of the 13th century. So a very different expression and, and really invested in a different way, uh, also living out this religious, religious life of poverty, chastity, and obe- obedience, living in community, and uh, living out this radical expression of the gospel. So these are just two religious orders that, that reached into and spoke to were, were remedies for two particular issues at that time and also met some perennial needs in the church for uh, a witness of poverty and preaching the gospel and a, an availability for the mission and to be sent out. Um, I'll just give a third example just to, uh, to, to show of, I can't, I can't overlook my own religious order, the Benedictines and St. Benedict, who lived as many years before St. Francis as St. Francis lives before us. So St. Francis was 700 years ago. St. Benedict was 700 years before St. Francis. (laughs) So really going back into 500 AD. At the time of St. Benedict, he actually was, you know, kind of a middle class noble, a, a lesser noble, and and went to Rome to study. You can think of it like college. And he was so turned off by the decadence of Rome in 500 AD. I mean, the, the Roman baths, the, uh, I don't know, the, the using of slaves, the the moral degradation, the, the usury and corruption, and I mean, just all this terrible stuff. And he was totally turned off by it. And he said, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm just going to dedicate my life to prayer and penance and just pray for all this to turn around. So he just went back to a place close to his hometown of Norcia in a place near Subiaco in Italy, actually very near Assisi, where St. Francis would be 700 years later. And he went into a, a cave and just lived a life of prayer and penance. And some people heard about him heard about his sanctity, and heard that he was living this life of a monk. And they asked him, would you form us? Would you be an abbot, a father for us, and teach us how to pray and how to do penance and how to live a life of holiness? So he eventually consented. There are a few chapters in that story and a few groups. The first group actually tried to poison him. But anyway, some others came and he formed some monasteries, formed a dozen monasteries and taught them how to live in community how to be monks. He worked with the weaknesses of men. They were not nearly as strong nor as holy as he was, but they were able to live something out in prayer and penance and community and living out their own form of poverty, chastity, and obedience, uh, holding all things in common, sharing in the breaking of the bread and the prayers, giving to each according to his need, just like the Acts of the Apostles. And St. Benedict really hit a need at that time, which was to kind of come into small communities and live out the gospel in a fervent way. And pretty soon they too became missionaries. 50 years after the death of St. Benedict, his whole grouping of monasteries, these monasteries spread over the Italian countryside. And St. Gregory the Great became Pope. And he was a monk. He was a Benedictine. And he gathered up Benedictines and he sent them to England because there was a need for missionaries. They were the religious. They were the kind of like seal, Navy seals of, of, uh, you know, the, of the gospel, the kind of specialist troops, you could say, and sent them out to England. St. Augustine of Canterbury brought the gospel and renewed uh, the, 
the uh, England and and the church in England. And then not long after that, 100 years later, St. Boniface came from England to Germany and spread the gospel all over Germany, renewed the life in France, spread the gospel in Holland and areas north, and uh, and founded a lot of monasteries. So this whole kind of missionary monastic movement, which established the church, planted the church in a lot of different places. Those are all religious orders, you know, and they have a particular way of living out the gospel. St. Francis's way is different than St. Dominic's way, is different than St. Benedict's way. Very unique, and yet fully Catholic, but kind of a specialist group, you know. So the, the army rangers or the navy seals, we could think of, you know, the kind of specialist uh, forces to live out the gospel. And then, by the way, you know, people who aren't going to dedicate their lives to this in the same way, married couples, families, rulers, societies have been formed by this. You know, the, the Franciscans and the Dominicans really formed universities. If you have ever heard of a college or university, and I can hardly imagine any of our listeners who haven't heard of, who couldn't name a dozen or 15 colleges and universities without even trying, all of those came from Dominicans and Franciscans. They founded the first universities in the, in the 13th century, and that became a whole movement of, of advanced scholarship and a studying of, uh, of, of nature and anyway, of philosophy and theology and the natural sciences. And all of that came from those religious orders, and the, and the Benedictines had their own form of schools that even predated those in the 13th century, where a lot of the education took place. So all of this, you know, spills over into the rest of the world and certainly into the rest of the church. And then as a, as a kind of gift, it's, it's a, a way of living the gospel that becomes a particular way for people to embrace. And, uh, you know, these, we call it a charism, a gift from the Holy Spirit particular way of, of living, living out the gospel in a particular time. So anyway, that's just a little introduction to a few religious orders. Now multiply that by about a thousand or two or three. There've been a lot of religious orders over time. The three I mentioned are three of the biggest that have ever existed and that still exist today, but a lot of different religious orders that have a little kind of their own angle, their own approach that meet the, the needs in particular areas that have spread in different ways. Some that have grown up and then have died out over time as the, as the needs sort of diminished. And so this is a, this kind of splendid, the, the splendor of Christ is what the, the second Vatican council calls this. It's, you know, the, the bride of Christ, the church arrayed in splendor. You know, she sort of shines with different jewels. You know, these religious orders are, you know, not the, it doesn't hold the whole thing together, but they're kind of a, a radiance of the church and, and help to make her shine in different times and different places. Yeah. And from all that you told me there, one of the starting points that particularly where your story you told of St. Francis was we all have this kind of biology telling us to do certain things, just instincts to go one way or the other. One of those is to avoid people that are physically sick with contagious disease. You know, we have an impulse to put all of the lepers and quarantine them outside the city because we're scared of us getting sick and dying. And as you mentioned there, St. Francis 
having that initial gut instinct showing that he's human like the rest of us, but making a conscious choice to move forward. Just as it's a constant choice to forego your ability to make more children to become a servant of God. That's a conscious choice that's against biology. And showing that that sacrifice, that choice to make what's better, ultimately pushing not just yourself and your order for forward, but the rest of us all around us by an example. And then each of those little nuances that you were discussing is someone seeing we need to do this a little bit different than how we're originally wired and this is how we're going to attack it. And it would make sense that everywhere on the ground around this world, there's little differences. You know, we all live in different cultures, different everything. But I'd imagine that if it's truly broken down, that a lot of the smaller ones have so many common threads, they just were never unified, but basically doing things very similar. So I I do thank you for giving examples of how these are, are important and what they're they're giving to it as far as to the human body and to the human experience as well so we've gone about 20 minutes or so here father and i want to see if there's any final thoughts as we conclude today's episode well just a, a little encouragement for our listeners to uh kind of open their memory for one thing you know have you encountered some religious orders you have some of that experience in your own life and then Maybe to kind of cast out a net, every diocese has some number of religious orders, religious men or religious women, and to find out about them, you know, and maybe to make a little field trip. I think of uh, Pittsburgh, for example, the Capuchins, uh, it's a Franciscan order. And you can look at the history of the Franciscans. They started with St. Francis and they've multiplied quite a few times, just taking different aspects. The Capuchins have had a little more contemplative aspect, more hermitage time and, and solitary. It was part of the life of St. Francis. The Third Order Regular Franciscans, the TORs, are also, um, I believe, they're yeah, they're still in, in Pittsburgh, and they're also in Steubenville, very close by. Um, certainly our Benedictine Monastery at St. Vincent, not far from Pittsburgh. They're also Passionists. That's another religious order of men and of women. There are Passionist nuns in Pittsburgh, one of the great contemplative orders of women and a beautiful convent, particularly in Pittsburgh. I actually celebrated my first mass there. I spent a lot of time, made a lot of retreats there and love those nuns. They're wonderful. And the, the Passionist Fathers are also there in Pittsburgh, um, all of the Passionists on the south side of Pittsburgh. Um, there are also the uh, Little Sisters of the Poor who, who run an a elderly care home in Pittsburgh, Beautiful order, beautiful place. And uh, there's a new order of uh, Sisters of Divine Mercy, the order that St. Faustina um, founded, more or less. Uh, they just come to Pittsburgh, a couple of nuns from there. And anyway, there's, the point is, I'm just off the top of my head listing, you know, dioceses that I obviously know. But in your own home diocese, wherever you're listening from, there are religious orders. Find out about them. Visit them. If you can get a little sense of the excitement in my voice to talk about it, you'll find the same thing when you talk to them. Tell me about your religious order. Tell me about your spirituality, and you'll learn a lot. And what that gives us, again, is not just a curiosity for uh, 
a shelf in an antique museum, you know, or an antique store. But really, it's a it's a way, it's a lens into understanding who Jesus is and how we can live out the life of Jesus in the world today. Every religious order gives a kind of particular way of life that's a, a particular way of living out the gospel. So we have a lot to learn from those who are who have invested their whole lives in living out these different charisms, these different spiritualities. So that'd be my little encouragement for our listeners. Find more out about a religious order, find some religious men and women, talk to them and, uh, and get to know about that spirituality. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. As you've discussed this a couple of times throughout the recording history, that people who have chosen to go all in, especially in the, the method of faith, have better and happier overall lives. And you can just hear the way that you're articulating this and telling it to everyone out there. And that's a, a beautiful task the Father has given us to become closer to it, um, become closer to some of the priests around you. I know that at Duquesne, I believe they're the fathers of the Holy Spirit. I might have that's that right. wrong. Yep. Um, but yeah, they they were teaching the college that I went to. So there's certainly a lot of it there. And I know you mentioned the Lasallian brothers earlier in the prior cast is where I went to high school. So you certainly can see it that they have a tremendously happy life and there's just no other way to say it. And something that if you're at a formative spot probably is worth looking into in all of that nature. So we thank everyone for listening and we'll be again with you here next week. Thank you.